You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We're recording today on the verge of round two. So with round one in the books, we'll be going back and forth on this, uh, kind of giving our thoughts on some of the surprises, some of the reaches, some of well, just just everything. And I guess first and foremost, Aaron Rodgers kind of almost hijacked the draft a couple hours beforehand with the news that he ain't going back to Green Bay. So that, that was uh, that was interesting and then got everybody fired up. And it was a nice precursor to get you really get the juices pumping for the draft. But uh, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I thought that was pr- that was pretty cool just to get things started. So uh, let's bring in Alex. I know uh, he's very happy with the selection at number three. Scared to death that it might have been Mac Jones. But Alex, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lou, and I'm just, I'm excited. Hallelujah. Somebody heard me up there, and they really did. For the first time in my life, when it comes to San Francisco 49ers, they went with the quarterback that I pounded the table for last week, came out with an article on NFLDraftBlitz.com, how I thought Trey Lance was the perfect fit at number three, and obviously John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were on the same page they they felt the same way and uh, I'm glad we're on the same page because everybody talked about how Mac Jones is the perfect quarterback but I also felt like Trey Lance was even a better quarterback for the team and the reason for that is because he could do so much more in terms of those bootlegs in terms of rolling out and throwing on the run in terms of the play action passes he also does a great job with that he came from a pro style offense and then you combine that with his size his arm strength his upside his decision making sounds too good to be true to be honest with you, obviously there's some negatives, but I, w- I don't want to focus on that. I think Jimmy G is going to return next season and he'll be the starter. Trey Lance will take over in 2022. So I would go the same model, like I would adopt the same thing that the Kansas City Chiefs did with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. I guess yeah. There's going to be a little bit of a difference there, but I, I see what you're saying. Is you know, obviously you want to you want to start the veteran. Hopefully Jimmy G can stay healthy for once, because otherwise you know he's going to get thrust in there. But but again, he hasn't played in a long time, and having him sit another whole year that I guess you can go many different ways, and this is going to be a first, I guess, in in many situations. Again, it all makes sense now after the fact, right? Because he was the guy that took the most snaps under center. He was the one that played with a fullback. He was the one that's turning his back to the defense, you know, on those play passes. So, I mean, it just seems, of course it was Trey Lance, but of course, you know, that narrative was started and uh, we spent uh, a long time, you know, thinking, how does Mac Jones move up? Nobody had him in the top 10 before before that came up. But uh, anyway, it all worked out well, I think, for everybody, including Mac Jones. He ends up falling right into the Patriots' lap, which was just... You know, conspiracy theorists and everything else. Yeah, how does that happen? Belichick doesn't have to spend any additional capital. He gets his quarterback, and and there he is. 
kudos you know to to the Niners for kind of playing it close to the vest it probably didn't make a difference at the end of the day but you know who knows you never know it's a draft the Jets said you know Zach Wilson was their guy but but you never know going back to the beginning we thought like the the, the quirky story going into the draft was you hear about well Tim Tebow's working out at tight end with the Jags and that's ridiculous. Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. And I don't know if he actually said it, but these are the reports and that he's not going back. And there's been separate trips, you know, out west by the coach, the GM, uh, everybody else. And it's just like, oh, my God, this guy just I mean, he, they're playing this PR thing perfectly. Do you have any sense that this is good that this is something that that will happen i mean it's like the russell wilson thing all over again aaron Rodgers is going to be back with the packers and here's the reason why here's my argument for this it's because the packers have really a short window for that super bowl they realize that even if aaron Rodgers was happy he would still have another two or three years to play because he's already i mean preparing for his post-career becoming the the Jeopardy host. There's no way. They're going to convince him to stay for one more year, and then he's going to be gone. Because it sounds like it's a relationship that you just... It's already tainted. He he doesn't trust the organization. I mean, he feels good about the coaches, but he doesn't trust the, the ownership and the front office. I think that's what it has to do with. Because they really stabbed him in the back last year by taking Jordan Love. It's not a problem. You prepare for the future, but you got to let your franchise quarterback know what you're going to do. And they keep bringing in guys like wide receivers on day three, undrafted free agents. I mean, everybody keeps getting weapons in the first round, and Green Bay just fails to address that position. So Aaron Rodgers has been doing... He's been doing more with less weapons. It's almost like a Tom Brady situation repeating itself once again. Like he feels underappreciated. Like the organization takes him for granted. And after they drafted Jordan Love last year, he proved to them that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think one more year he comes back and then they cut him loose and... And I'm sure they're going to trade him, and and somebody's going to be willing to to take him. And Mark Murphy and Gutekunst again, <laughs> showing that Rodgers will not run this organization. Take Eric Stokes, cornerback at pick number 29. I mean, obviously there were some pretty pretty good wide receivers on the board at that time. They do need defense. I mean, their offense is pretty good even without, I guess, a clear number two receiver. But uh, that I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> just kind of like slap him in the face again as he's heading out the door. Mark Slareth, uh, who lives in Denver, obviously very connected with the Broncos. And he had mentioned yesterday at some point that the Broncos had kind of maybe had a deal in place. And then when they took Sertan at number nine, passing on Justin Fields, you start thinking, wait a second, maybe that's the, maybe that's a pick for the Packers. There's going to be all sort of conspiracy theorists going on here, or just kind of trying to connect the dots. But did that surprise you when, when Denver passed on Justin Fields? I think it was really an indication to me when Denver traded for Teddy Bridgewater right before the draft that they weren't going to take one. Maybe they had an inkling that Trey Lance was going to be taken by the 49ers and they didn't value Justin Fields and Mac Jones quite as high as, as those guys. That that probably wasn't a surprise to me. I don't think there's a conspiracy theory here that Sertan was taken for the Packers. 
because the Packers still took a cornerback at the end of the first round. I mean, you mentioned him, Georgia corner, Eric Stokes. No, Nothing against so. Stokes, I, by the way. That was just that. I mean, he's a great player, and I think he'll do well. It, I guess just the situation, it just seemed a little ironic. So I think it's Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. The Denver wants to find out if Locke will be the future for them. And Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a good competition in training camp. And I think eventually Bridgewater wins that job just because of the familiarity with the GM who was there with the Minnesota Vikings. And I think the weapons and the fact that Bridgewater makes better decisions. You look at Locke's interception numbers and you just shake your head and you say there's no way that the Denver Broncos are going to proceed in that direction. Bridgewater might be the the safer pick. He might not make the big plays, but at least he he keeps you moving and and you have the weapons on offense and Denver is going to be fine on defense. Again, Broncos are kind of an interesting team that I'll be keeping an eye on during the offseason because I want to jump on their bandwagon a little bit, but I want to make sure that they're, they're more committed to Bridgewater than they are to Drew Locke. I'm not buying that Aaron Rodgers is going to leave Green Bay this year. I think they're going to patch it out. Rodgers knows that he could still make a run with Green Bay this season. Then after the 2021 season... I think they'll part ways. You know, it's just one of those things because, you know, they brought in Bridgewater, but they only gave up a sixth-round pick, and they're only paying, I think, like $3 million of his salary. So they're not necessarily married to him either. And that's why I was thinking that if a quarterback fell to them, maybe they weren't going to make a you know a big move to get one. But th- that was my thought there, that they're not – they feel comfortable with either ones moving forward. I think Bridgewater was just like, hey, we're, we need somebody in here just to compete with Drew Locke, push him a little bit, show him how to how to be a pro, how to prepare, and, and so forth. Be the starter for however long it takes um, if he beats out Drew Locke. So that's kind of, a, it was a head scratcher at, at that point. Keep adding to your strength, you know, just become a better defensive team, I suppose. Lou, how about Chicago. I mean, I criticize them that there's that no was, way yeah, that they'll, I mean, be, yeah. they'll go with Andy Dalton into the season. Hey, they make a move for the Ohio State quarterback. What do you think of that? That was bold, and I, I, I'm a little surprised that I guess they gave this crew, the Nagy and Pace, kind of a leash here because that might restart their clock a little bit, giving them some time with the new quarterback. Yeah, that, that was that was tremendous. And I would imagine all Bears fans are thinking like, what what are we doing? You know, like this is awesome. This isn't us. We don't we don't do this. We've never had, you know, a quarterback with this kind of this kind of skill set. But what we'll, remains to be seen what Justin Fields does. But again, it's gonna be up to Nagy to put him in a position to succeed. And maybe where they weren't so successful obviously with Trubisky that Fields will be the guy that fits that offense or they fit the offense around him which would be more apropos and would would have more chances at success so that I mean a couple of teams that you didn't think were really going to make a move made big moves and I guess the other thing about that is you got to give Pace some credit they didn't have to give up any any uh their other premium picks this year the first, and I believe, would they give up a first and a fourth next year? Maybe those picks are more valuable because we'll have more information and, you know, the medicals will be there and everything else. And I think that's kind of the conventional wisdom. But I think they did a good job to get to that point to get their guy. But the other one was the Giants, a team that never moves. 
uh, Gettleman was on record. He goes, I don't like to trade it. I don't want to be fleeced. But I think they were kind of locked on getting some speed, right? And then when uh, Smith and Waddle were gone ahead of them, they're like, well, let's trade out. Because, I mean, eventually they trade down and take Kadarius Toney. I guess on their board was probably their next best guy as far as the speed type receiver. So that was a little bit of a surprise too. And I guess you got to give them some kudos to, uh, hey, our guys aren't there. Let's trade out and, and get some extra picks. Obviously, the Giants were high on Devontae Smith, but when the Eagles jumped and traded with the Cowboys... That was another shocker. (laughs) The intra-division trade there. Obviously, I mean, the Cowboys were sticking it to the Giants because, I mean, Devontae Smith was going to be the pick, and then they, they traded down. And then, obviously, we saw the same thing happen to the Cowboys earlier. You mentioned Denver drafting Patrick Sartain the second. Right. I think the Cowboys were all in on the Alabama corner, but once he wasn't available, that's the reason why they made that trade with the Eagles. So it's it's kind of like, you know, almost like you you feel like the guy is going to be there and oh, he gets drafted like the pick before you're on the clock. Same thing I think happened with the Raiders. Las Vegas Raiders reached for a guy like Alex Leatherwood, in my opinion, because I had a third-round grade on him. And they see him as a right tackle. I see him as a guard. But again, they, again, they, they choose a guy in the first round that nobody had in the first round. And I feel like the guy that they were targeting was Elijah Vera Tucker. That was going to be their pick, but the Jets obviously jumped from 23 to 14 and and traded with the Minnesota Vikings and took him and he's going to be the left guard for them I think the Raiders just panicked a little bit and instead of trading back like Gettleman did you know Mike Mayock stuck to his board and I think Mayock just doesn't even understand what trading is you know on draft day I don't think he's figured it out it's one thing when you're a rookie GM and you take a guy like Cleveland Farrell, number four, maybe you push the panic button and you decided not to trade down because you like the guy. But he's done this over and over again. Henry Ruggs last year at 12. Damon Arnett, who I had like as a third round pick again, and he comes back again this year with Alex Leatherwood in the first round. And Leatherwood is a nice player, but he's certainly not up there with, with the top tackles in this draft. I think... Mike Mayock is going to go back and, and become a draft analyst fairly soon. And I guess that's that's the thing is would how would Mike Mayock, the uh, the NFL network, NFL media analyst, talk about Mike Mayock, the actual GM? I mean, obviously, you've seen overdrafts. They really value these championship-type players, whether it be Clemson guys, Ohio State guys, Alabama guys. They put that over and above a lot of other things that maybe some other teams look at, and they keep sticking to their guns, and it's like, okay, this guy played for Alabama, uh, best offensive line in the country, well-coached, everything else, you know, championship pedigree, this guy's going to fit what, what we want to do. So you got to applaud them for sticking to their guns and not kind of listening to other people and, and uh, how they view these draft picks so they do stick to their guns but by the it same hasn't token worked out so far Luke. exactly I mean, that's, what you, so that's what you have to look at now it's been a few years how is that going so far you know again i i don't want to beat up on the raiders because i despise them so much but 
And I kept looking at this, trying to err on the side of, okay, trying to be unbiased here and, and what their thinking was. But I'm, how many years ago was it where, like, out of the blue, I think Seattle took James Carpenter as an offensive lineman from Alabama in the first round, and everybody's like, what? what? Whoa, what? And, and I think it's similar. Maybe it was a little bit lower. They were probably, like, in the late 20s or 30s when they took him. The Raiders being at 17, I guess that's that's the other thing. He turns out to be a great player. God bless him. But as it stands right now, if you're looking at value boards and so forth, and obviously the uh, NFL Draft Blitz value board did not have him at, in the top 20. Actually, I think I had to go to my second or third sheet on him. And where, where did you have him? Do you recall? I think it's like 70 61, or 80. 61. I- 61. 61. Okay. You had him as a guard, and he was the first one I had to go off the first sheet for. <laughs> so, anyway, there's that. Um, some surprises in, in the first round. I don't think there were nearly as many trades as, as I thought there might be, but uh, the ones that did happen were, were, I mean, teams made some bold moves. I mean, the, the Jets coming back up to 14 to get Elijah Vera Tucker. I want to hit this because they didn't make a trade, but the pick right before them, the Chargers, they couldn't have scripted this any better. I mean, they sit there. They don't have to give up any capital, and there's their starting left tackle, arguably a guy that could have gone at five, right? I thought that was a masterful pick there. I mean, I don't think they could have screwed that up, but the fact that they got him, I mean, that was, I thought that that was an amazing pick. For the second year in a row, right? I mean, the Chargers were sitting at six last year. They didn't have to make a move. They're just like, okay, a couple of quarterbacks are going to go. We're going to take the third guy on the board. Turned out to be Justin Herbert. He's the offensive rookie of the year, and they couldn't be happier. Same thing happens they hear. I mean, whether you view Rashawn Slater as a left tackle, they probably do. He's got versatility. He could play a number of positions. So they took the best offensive lineman on the board, and it's Rashawn Slater. He's, I'm assuming he's going to protect the blind side for, for Justin Herbert. So sometimes it's better to just stay patient, let the draft develop, and the guys that you have high on your board as first-round guys, they're going to fall to you. I mean, look at New England. I mean, same thing, right? A lot of people were projecting the Patriots to trade up for one of the quarterbacks, whoever it is, Lance, Fields, Mac Jones, right? That's not what they did. They just stood pat, 15 came around, and and they didn't waste much time. They knew it was Mac Jones because Mac Jones seems like the perfect Patriot pick. It really does. I'm not going to compare him to Tom Brady because that's really unfair. I mean, Brady is a legend in the NFL, and Mac Jones has got a long way to go. But I see Mac Jones unseating Cam Newton because he's younger, he's healthier, and he is the type of quarterback that that system is built for because he's got a quick release, he sees the field well, and he's accurate. And Josh McDaniels is going to do everything in his power to work to Mac Jones's strength. So I thought at three, Mac Jones is too rich for me. At number 15, it's one of the best picks in the first round. Well, speaking of Mac Jones, he's shortly after he was picked by the Patriots. And this was a, like, I don't know if somebody gave him this idea. He came up with it on his own. But like that that famous picture 
of uh, Brady's combine picture where he's just in shorts, shirtless, kind of looks like just an average guy, not really an athlete. And then he put a picture of himself looking about the same shirtless. And he posted that. I don't remember what the caption was, but it was just funny as hell because it was they look all they look like brothers standing next next to one another. So we'll see. You know, it's career wise, obviously, it's you know impossible probably to match what what Brady's done. But yeah, I mean, as far as just the the type of guy that they're looking for, the offense that they want to run, the hell with the Patriots. Come on, man, that's not <laughs> that's not fair. It might not be fair, but you have to get used to it. I mean, yeah. I said that the Patriots are going to go what like five and twelve. I mean, six and eleven. Well, I'm gonna. I have to rethink. I don't this know. Now. Their defense I mean, is still is going to be much better this year with those, those guys coming back. Yeah, you're going to have to revisit that. <laughs> One of my favorite players in this draft went a pick later to the Arizona Cardinals, Zayvon Collins, uh, kind of a, 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 a huge linebacker. Not not as big as I guess the size you're you're seeing anymore at linebacker. You really can't tell the difference. You're talking about positionless football, you know, safeties and linebackers. They're almost the same size. And, you know, Brady was kind of lamenting, oh, geez, they're all going to be wearing the same number. You don't know what's what. But Zayvon Collins is a big dude who can move and run. And I just thought this was a great pick by Arizona. They didn't, you know, get caught up in, well, let's, you know, maybe Kadarius Toney or maybe one of these other speed receivers, Elijah Moore. You know, let, let's let's get even better on offense. I thought that was a really good pick. I love Zayvon Collins. Again, second year in a row that they go linebacker. Last year they went with Isaiah Simmons, the versatile linebacker out of Clemson. Now they go with Zayvon Collins who also gives you a lot of versatility. I mean, this guy can shed blocks quickly. Uh, He can fill those run lanes. He can cover. He made a lot of plays for Tulsa, and they definitely overexceeded their expectations. I mean, they played really well. He was the alpha dog on that defense, the leader, and uh, certainly was a playmaker. Teams were keyed on on him. I mean, offensive linemen tried to get their hands on him at the second level, and he wasn't having any of that. Saban Collins had a great year. Might not be like a, a, a double-digit sack type of guy, but he does so many things for a football team, and I think that seems to be the theme. The Arizona Cardinals want to get more speed and more athleticism at the linebacker position, especially you know when they're facing teams like you know, the Seahawks, you know, against Russell Wilson. Now the 49ers with Trey Lance. I mean, running quarterbacks. They want to match up against those quarterbacks, those running quarterbacks. And that's the reason why they keep going linebacker. And and speaking of linebacker, I mean, I was surprised like Jamin Davis went 19 to Washington, a linebacker from Kentucky. I mean, he was rising, but I just thought that was way too high at 19, especially when you've got like, a guy like Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa from Notre Dame, and he didn't even go in the first round. And then I saw Peyton Turner at 28, a defensive lineman that went to the Saints. I thought that was also very high. I mean, he's he's got the size. He's got huge arms and the wingspan. And he had a good senior year, but I just thought that was too rich for me as well. I, I thought those were a couple of reaches for me in the first round. Going back, I mean, this regarding the Saints pick, I mean, I immediately I'm thinking, well, what about when they they had to move up a lot to get Marcus Davenport? And it seems like it's the same type of player. So you see these teams where they're 
the successful teams seem to have kind of a criteria, the type of player that they're looking for. I talked about that a little bit with the Raiders, and that really hasn't been working too well. But if you look, it's kind of down near the bottom of the first round where New Orleans kind of stick into there. They lost Hendrickson. Let's bring in another guy, the type of player that we want. And Marcus Davenport, I thought, kind of compared to, to, to Peyton Turner. Or you look at uh, the Ravens. Uh, and the types of guys that you know, they bring in Jason Owe at the 31st pick that they had acquired from the Chiefs in the Orlando Brown trade, where you know he didn't have a sack last year, but he's very athletic, very very much a disruptor, and this is a guy that they can kind of mold into one of these outside linebackers defensive ends that they seem to kind of run through year after year. Uh, and they just bring in guys, develop them, and hey, eventually they leave in free agency, but they are able to develop some cheap talent. Their wide receiver pick, I liked Rashad Bateman a lot coming in. I don't know if that was a little... I know you had him pretty high as well. That seems like a really good pick for the Ravens because, you know, big-bodied guy, a little... You know, they got Hollywood Brown, but he, he doesn't seem like a real, you know, kind of, you know, third and seven, this is the guy we're going to... He's more like the down the field, maybe jet sweeps and so forth, where Bateman just seems like a little bit more of a route runner and can get you that first down on third down. As far as player types, these teams that seem to be able to find the guys that fit their mold that not necessarily uh, be rated you know, as highly as some other players, but they can make them into really good players and they've had success with it. Kind of like what those teams at, at the bottom did a little bit. I mentioned Green Bay with Eric Stokes. Like him as a player and so forth, but again, no offense for uh, for Aaron Rodgers. But they do need some help at the corner position. And then uh, Tampa Bay with Tryon, where they basically, I don't know, really had no needs. But here's a guy didn't play last year, but the year before had an outstanding season and just looks like, you know, the rich get richer at this point. So I really liked the way the whole thing went. There were some surprises. There were a few trades. All the mystery and intrigue at the top uh, at pick three. And then finally it comes out. It's Trey Lance and everybody in San Francisco breathes a sigh of relief that it wasn't Mac Jones. And again, no offense to Mac Jones. But it, it was it was a really cool first round. Alabama had, what, six first rounders, which we kind of expected. We didn't think Alex Leather would be one of them, but they still got six guys in the first round. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Rashad Bateman, I agree with you. I think that's, that's a great pick. The Ravens were looking for a wide receiver. I mean, Hollywood Brown was picked at the end of the first round a few years back. Hasn't hasn't been a consistent weapon there for them. I and mean, they're just different players, like you mentioned. Hollywood Brown can stretch the field. He's that deep threat. Rashad Bateman can use his big body and convert that third and five on a slant route because he's got good hands and runs good routes. And he can line up anywhere. I mean, he can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. And I actually had Bateman ahead of Jamar Chase, and that that's not a popular opinion, but that that's just the way I see it. Obviously, the Bengals. Feel yeah, I did want to ask you about that. You have Jamar Chase. You had it as your 17th overall player. Like you said, not very popular because I would imagine, and everything that I've seen, everybody had him in their top five, you know, and some top three. I don't know if we really hit on that much in previous shows, but where does he kind of not? fit the bill at the top of the draft that that you're thinking that why why do you have him at 17 so let's start with the good 
obviously I realized why Jamar Chase went number five. And the reason for that is he had a great sophomore campaign in 2019. I mean, he put up video game numbers. He scored 20 touchdowns in the SEC. He did really well against some top competition. Not every good corner, but some of them, especially in that championship game, he really abused, I would say, A.J. Terrell. He had a great game, and uh, he, he did well against Alabama, and uh, there's no question about that. You look at his body of work, he's only 20 years old, so you assume that the sky is the limit because he has room to grow. He's strong, he has good hands, he's physical after the catch, and he breaks tackles. A lot of people have compared him to Anquan Bolden. It's really a stupid comparison because they're just really different players. Let's just say that he's slippery. and, and Chase is a lot faster side. than Bolden, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, he is. But let's get to where I have question marks with Chase. Lou, at his pro day, he tested really well. I mean, his athleticism is really good. But that 4.38 speed, he doesn't have it. I mean, with pads on, he's not a 4.344 guy. He doesn't get that consistent separation, whether it's on intermediate routes or the deep routes. He always seems to have the cornerback close by. He kind of pushes him off. I mean, kind of Michael Irvin move. And I've seen that quite a bit where he, at the last second, he pushes the guy away and comes up and, and makes the leaping catch. He's not going to be able to do that in the NFL. He's a six-foot wide receiver. He's not a Calvin Johnson. He's not a Julio Jones. He's not going to be able to win those leaping battles with cornerbacks who are just as big as him. Plus, he's an average route runner at this point, Lou. He just doesn't have that short area quickness. And if you're not a deep threat, then how are you going to win after that? Are you going to be like, are you a good route runner? He's not on those short intermediate routes. Justin Jefferson was a great route runner coming out. I didn't see that with Jamar Chase. He's got a long way to go with that. Plus, there are a lot of times on film, and I was bothered by this. So people talk about him being physical, and then I saw a number of times when a cornerback would press him and wouldn't allow him to get off the line of scrimmage. He would jam him, and he would just kind of stop his feet. He wasn't able to counter that. He didn't use his hands. He didn't use his quickness. You have to be able to do something. You have to you know, make something out of it. And he didn't. He didn't even adjust to it. Teams and corners that pressed him, they had success against him. And the Bengals drafted him to be the outside receiver because Tyler Boyd is going to be the slot guy. I mean, he has been. So as an outside guy, you're going to have to get a lot better against the press. I was bothered by this a lot. I heard that he's physical, that, you know, he's just this this bulldozer, and he didn't do anything to counter guys that challenged him at the line of scrimmage. It didn't happen often because most corners are scared in college, and they see Jamar Chase, so they're playing off or, or they're playing zone. I also feel like against zone coverage, he, did, he didn't understand. He didn't have a good understanding of where the holes were. I realize he put up huge numbers, but on those third down critical situations in 2019, Joe Burrow was always looking for Justin Jefferson because Jeff, Justin Jefferson came out of his breaks quickly and was able to find those soft spots against zone coverage. Jamar Chase wasn't even the go-to guy in those, on those critical downs, in those critical situations. 
you know, my scouting report always makes Jamar Chase seem like a day three pick, right? Based on what I'm saying. But I just, I don't, his speed and his athleticism just doesn't match up on the football field. And that's what I care about. And I wouldn't have chosen him in the top five or the top 10. I'd feel much better about him somewhere in the 20s. But obviously, who am I to argue with that? The Bengals believe that he's going to be the the second coming of what? Julio Jones or, or somebody like that. I also feel that this is my philosophy, Lou. I don't take wide receivers in the first round. Forget about the top 10. I'm not going to take wide receivers in the first round just because unless you're Calvin Johnson, unless you're Julio Jones, if you're like a physical, physical specimen, then maybe I would consider you. But I can find really good wide receivers on day two. And we see this time and time again during every NFL draft. Teams get so enamored with these pass catchers and they go and take them in the top five or top ten. And then we see guys that get chosen on day two and they outplay their first round counterpart. Well, the bust rate is fairly high on wide receivers uh, in the first round. The other thing that, that this, I think, tells us is that workout camps and these places where these guys go to train before the draft and before their pro days and before you know the, the combine when they, when they have it, of course, that I think Jamar Chase, they said they shaved like two-tenths off of his 40 time. That a lot, has a lot to do with form and how they run it and, and figuring it out. But that, like you said doesn't always translate to the field, right? Because you're not going to be in that stance. You're not running against air. There's people you have to negotiate, and you either, I think, have that speed or you don't. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of let you have an opportunity to to, to vent to say that because uh, you may be one of the only people that does this that had him as low as you did, and I thought people needed to, to hear kind of the reasoning behind it. I value route running a lot higher than some other folks out there, and that's why I had Bateman ahead of Jamar Chase. And reading a, and though- reading a defense, too, because a lot of these routes in the NFL, I mean, they're not, it's not like, okay, we call it in the huddle, this is the way you're, you're running it if you know, the corner does this, or if the safety does this, then, you know, it's all, it's not like in stone. So, and this is where you find some of these guys are, well, geez, you know, he's four, three guy, he can catch the ball or whatever. But, you know, time and time again, you'll watch games and those guys get lost or the quarterback overthrows him, underthrows, or he throws him to where he's supposed to be, but he's not there. That gets lost. And if you can master those things, even if you're a little slower, you're the much better receiver, much more valuable player to your team, right? Well, we've seen four or five wide receivers go into the NFL and succeed. Four six. Then uh, Jerry Rice, I think, ran a four six before he got drafted. DeAndre Hopkins ran a four five. Devontae Adams ran a four five. I mean, just we're going back recently, right? I realized that we get enamored with athletic skills with their short shuttle times with three cone with you know the the 40 time i get it and i praise jamar chase because he opted out in 2020 obviously what he did was he went to work he went to this facility right away during the season and, and worked hard 
And so you have to praise him for it. He put in the hard work and, and he delivered. And he delivered and, and became a top five pick. Last time the Bengals took a wide receiver in the top 10, do you remember who it was? It was John Ross. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I'm going, I'm thinking Peter Warwick. <laughs> I was going way back. No, yeah, John, John Ross yeah. at number nine. Didn't work out so well. Well, the Giants. Well, the, Gi- the Giants are hoping. It seems like they're building a little, trying to build a little bit of a track team there now with Kadarius Tony and bringing the the John Ross experience to New York and see how that goes. I'm not a big fan of Kadarius Tony, by the way, as well. And I have a pet peeve when it comes to NFL draft prospects, and it's very clear. If you break out as a senior and you haven't done anything prior to that, I will not take you, especially if. If we're talking about a high round pick, like a first round pick or a round two pick, there's only one guy that has proven me wrong in this theory over the past like eight, nine years. It was Terry McLaurin from Washington. He busted out as a senior, hasn't done anything prior to that. Obviously, he's been a good wide receiver for Washington. Kadarius Toney, to me, is a very average route runner. He's a playmaker. I get it. You can use him on jet sweeps. You know, he can help you in the return game. I'm just not sure that Jason Garrett and the Giants are going to be creative enough to get the ball to Kadarius Toney in that way. So if we're talking about a traditional wide receiver, slot receiver, I just think he's going to get lost in New York. Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, you hope they they seem to be trending in the right direction, how they're drafting, free agents that they've brought in, and that defense they keep they keep tinkering with and getting better and better we'll see uh daniel jones i mean i don't think there's going to be any excuses now he's going to have plenty of weapons obviously kenny galladay they bring in in free agency at wide receiver a couple guys that, that slipped and i think it was you know there, there was some medical obviously you had aziz ojaleri rated pretty high and i liked him as well out of, out of georgia uh, so he's kind of slipped out of the first round uh caleb farley slips down to number 22 and actually, with the, the medical, there some pundits, if you would, were, were thinking he may slip out of the first round, or at least a little bit further down. But Tennessee kind of, I don't know if they're rolling the dice here, or they just felt comfortable with the medical and at 22 bring him in. And that could be one of the, you know, quote unquote, steals of the draft at, at um, you know, in a few years, if he stays healthy, that's that's the big the big question. You had uh, some some groups like the the interior defensive linemen. I really didn't see many of those. I think you, you know those guys will start to come off the board uh, tonight and into Saturday. Linebacker, really, I mean, outside of Micah Parsons, uh, Zayvon Collins, you mentioned uh, Jamin Davis. So those those guys, and I guess JOK is the one, and I call him JOK because I forget how to say his. Name name unless I look specifically at it. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa out of Notre Dame. That was a little bit of a surprise to me that he fell out of the first round. I think it's just that with with the positions with the quarterbacks getting pushed up, uh, corners, pass rushers to a degree, even though there weren't that many highly regarded in this draft, some did get pushed up. Jalen Phillips uh, to Miami, Quiddy Pay to Indianapolis, and you know some Russo went. Who else? Peyton Turner, one that you mentioned earlier, was a little bit of a surprise, you know, late in the first round. But again, you know, he kind of fits what New Orleans does. But I guess my point is, is that there's a lot of talent, and it's going to be. Uh, this is kind of where you see teams kind of restack their board, if you would. They get an overnight 
to, to sleep on it, if you would, may see a lot more dealing really you know, for some of these guys that slipped. And I guess to me, I'm thinking somebody's going to come up and try to go after like Koromoa. The medical on Ojolari, that that would really intrigue me because, I mean, you had him as your 10th player overall. But, you know, Christian Barmore is still sitting there. Trevor Murrig, the safety from TCU. Liam Eichenberg. I mean, there there's a lot of good players sitting there. Fryermuth, the tight end. You know, that might be a, a perfect fit for uh, for Jacksonville. But, I mean, who that that slipped out of the first round really surprised you the most? Ajolari, because uh, at times he just took over games for a young player. And he is a young player. He's 20 years old. And I just felt like, you know, he had that presence to dominate. I also felt like uh, Christian Barmore, but there are some questions about his off the field, some character baggage. People have question marks about, you know, sometimes he, when he is on, he is on. When he is off, he's off. But I would defend that. In the beginning of the season, he was coming back from an injury. So for all those people that I say like he didn't show up in the beginning of the season, I think that had a lot to do with it. In the second half of the year, I saw a dominant player uh, in Christian Barmore. I think Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Old Miss, would be a really good find as a slot receiver in the second round. I think Asante Samuel Jr., his daddy played in the league. He was a ball hog for the Patriots and the Eagles. I mean, this guy would fit some systems with like that run zone and off-man coverage. Maybe he plays slot corner as well. I think he he gives you that versatility. What surprised me in the first round, that two running backs were chosen. I mean, Najee Harris went to the Steelers at 24. Travis Etienne went to the Jaguars at 25. And the reason why I say that is I look at some teams in the top of the second round right now, and specifically I'm looking at the Falcons. And I think Javante Williams from UNC is going to come off the board. I think that's going to be their pick. I realize that the Falcons need to go defense, and we're talking about offense. I mean, they chose Kyle Pitts at four, and now I'm saying they're going to take a running back in the second round, and then they will address that defense. But I think Arthur Smith is is just going to say, look, with that offense, we're just going to score 40, 50 points a game. That's it. And if we can't stop anybody, at least we'll try to outscore everyone. So I think Javante Williams uh, is going to come off the board really early in round two. There's a few. I mean, the Jets could certainly go running back, you know, at number 34. Jacksonville, obviously, now they've, they've got a full backfield. I'm not exactly sure where. I mean, they've got Etienne, Robinson. They brought in Carlos Hyde. I mean, you don't look at Carlos Hyde as somebody that's going to be an every down back, but, you know, still, I mean, they got three guys that are can be very productive. But, you know, Jacksonville at the top, I mean, there's so many players that they can go after. I mean, and they've got a ton of picks. So, I mean, do they really want to trade back? They could because, again, there's so, there's so much there available to them. But, um, yeah, I mean, it should be interesting at the top. I mean, who's going to be that next quarterback? Who's going to trade it? Is Washington going to make a move up for a quarterback? Do they have to? They're sitting at 51. Uh, you know, does Davis Mills or uh, or Kyle Trask or uh, Kellen Mond fall to them at 51? I mean, that's I guess that's the next because I'm looking at which one of these teams, you know, Denver's sitting there at 40. Do they now address... 
do they bring in another quarterback, or are they actually? I'm going to go with this conspiracy theory that you know they're going to get, they're going to get uh, Aaron Rodgers. There's only a, I guess a few teams it looks like ahead of them that would go quarterback. But do you feel somebody's going to trade up into the 30s to to get that sixth quarterback? No, I think somebody is going to stand still and try to get that quarterback. I think. Whoever Washington believes in, whether it's Trask or Kellen Mond, I think they stay put. I don't think those guys are worthy of trading up for. I think they have question marks. I think Washington would be smart to stay where they are, and maybe they get one of those quarterbacks. I want to see the Bengals address the offensive line. I realize they chose Jamar Chase, and to me that's a bit controversial to go Chase over Sewell. I've already mentioned that. The Bengals need to address the offensive line on, on day two. Maybe it's Cosme from Texas who can play left tackle, right tackle. Maybe it's Dylan Radins, uh, North Dakota State left tackle who protected Trey Lance uh, in 2019. He could play right tackle as well. I can't believe that they are really set with Jonah Williams at left tackle. He missed the entire rookie season. He missed, I think, six games last year they obviously believe in him as the left tackle but even if you do you have to like address the right tackle position you need to address the interior i mean joe burrow is going to get killed like andrew luck got killed you don't want to see that to when you've got such a talented quarterback out there so i'm i'm looking for the Bengals to just address the offensive line on day two yeah that was a really un bengals type thing to do to take the wide receiver at five i think uh obviously they did it with ross maybe they haven't learned their lesson yeah i mean you you got guys that had been mentioned as possible first rounders that might be sitting there you mentioned a few uh mayfield Tevin jenkins uh, Liam Eikenberg, you mentioned Cosme. So there, there's a bunch of guys that, that could certainly fit there. They're picking at 38. Yeah, they they absolutely have to. And I, w- I would imagine there's a lot of fans out there thinking that they should have done it at five. Uh, we can maybe hit our receiver at 38 with some of these guys left on the board, like an Elijah Moore. What do you make of Terrace Marshall? This is somebody that I kind of had my eye on if the, if the Chiefs were sitting there at 31. But obviously they 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 were a little smarter and addressed their offensive line, you know, using that pick. But they're sitting there at fifty eight and sixty three. Any chance that he falls that far, would they have to come up to get somebody like that? Don't take him, Lou. Don't take him at all. That's my. Don't take him at all. And here's the reason why he was he was a big time. It's starting to sound like your anti LSU receiver. No, I love Justin Jefferson <laughs> last year, but these two guys I do have a problem with. And it might sound like that, and I'm sure a few LSU fans are, are going to turn off this podcast if they're listening. Terrace Marshall, I'll make a case for it. Uh, he was a big-time recruit coming out of high school, much better than Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, but just he played third fiddle. And I never felt like he took over games when I watched film. And he had an opportunity to do that this year. I think there's only one game against Missouri that he took over. I, I saw some other guys like being that number one target. He kind of looks lazy to me. And the reason why I say that is because he's big, he's athletic, and he's got that speed. 
but I don't think he tries hard when he's running routes. He's kind of lackadaisical out there when he's coming out of his breaks. And it's not because he's a big wide receiver. It's just he's kind of coasting out there. When he wants to make a play, he'll make it. But it seems like it's just really inconsistent in that regard. Plus, he's got a medical history. I've heard that there's some teams that are were considering him pretty high, but he flunked some medicals and... Uh, that might be also a problem with Terrace Marshall as well. So if for a team, and again, I'm going to stay homer here, for the Chiefs looking for that number two type receiver, like a, a Rashad Bateman type, I know you're pretty high on Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah. Would you put Nico Collins in that class, or is 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 he not really fit that bill? No, I think Nico Collins is a better prospect than, than Terrace Marshall. And I well, think he's well, how about Amon Ross St. Brown? I mean, I'm I'm saying with those two guys, let's let's take Marshall no, out Amin of the Ross equation Saint, here. Out of all the guys that are left, even early on day two, with all due respect to Elijah Moore, I think he's a good prospect, and I think he's going to be a good slot receiver at the next level. I think my top wide receiver right now on the board is Amon Ross St. Brown. And I realize that he's probably not even going to go in round two. He's going to be more of a round three type of guy, but somebody is going to get a steal just because he can line up outside, he can line up in the slot, he's got good hands, he's strong, and he's really like his hips. I I like those fluid hips, kind of like Justin Jefferson in a way. He's got good short area quickness. He might not be like the fastest guy out there, but I like his route running. Not the best route runner, but he's a precise route runner. I've compared him before to Robert Woods, and I just think that if you can get a Robert Woods on day two, in my opinion, Amon Ross St. Brown is the best wide receiver out there. So I would suggest the Chiefs to go with Amon Ross St. Brown, but I think the Chiefs like speedsters, Lou. I, I just think well, they, it's they, not going to be well, like Terrence Marshall. They, it might be. They have that, I think, with uh, you know, with Hill and Hardman. They don't have the guy like like a Bateman we're talking about, somebody that's a, a route runner that can kind of get open on third down, move move the chains. Not saying that Hill can't do that, but he's typically double teamed. And Hardman kind of gets lost. I, I think you know he's got the speed, he's got the athleticism. They can do a lot of different things with him. But in those situations where, and I talked about it before, where these guys kind of you know they have option routes or something, they, they they don't read the defense that well. So. Mahomes has in one mind, okay, here's where the guy needs to be, here's where I'm throwing the ball, and he's in the other direction and then shaking his head as to why did why did you throw it over there? That that's the thing that concerns me with their speed guys. And in free agency, they were never gonna get a guy in free agency that wants to go there. They are option number three at best behind Kelsey and Hill. So you're not gonna showcase as the number two wide receiver in Kansas City. So they have to develop that, right? And I think if St. Brown is there at 58 or 63, I think they got to take him. St. Brown would be an excellent option for a team because he would be that safety valve on third and five and third and seven. He understands coverages. He understands how explo- how to exploit zone coverage. You're selling me now. He's, You're selling me now, I'm Alex. I'm telling you, it's it's the it's the way you want to go. I just don't think the Chiefs will go that way. They won't. I, I'll throw you a name where I think the Chiefs should go. Well, I think Nico Collins would be a good option yeah. because of his size. 
because of that red zone option. Because we know Travis Kelsey is there as a red zone option, but you know Tyreek Hill isn't, and Hardman isn't in that regard. Why not get a bigger target? And he tested well. He's got a huge catching radius. He makes those leaping catches. You see it on film as well. He makes a lot of contested catches at Michigan. Didn't play this year, but showed up at the Senior Bowl in shape. He dropped down to 215 instead of 225 of where he played before. He looked faster. He looked smoother. And then he really did well at the Pro Day. So I think Nico Collins might be the option for the Chiefs because I'm just not buying the fact that they will draft somebody like St. Brown. I'm happy if they if they were to get I like St. Brown as well. Terrace Marshall was kind of intriguing, if you would, because I guess the, the speed factor... So, yeah, it, I, we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of picks to go. They don't have a third-round pick uh, via the Orlando Brown trade. That's enough Chiefs talk for today. <laughs> we, I could go on for a while, but I don't think our fans would really appreciate that. All right, so Jacksonville's got got multiple picks. I, I want to say who else who has as extra picks in this round. Miami, I, I want to say. Yes, Miami. These are, I mean, obviously teams that, that need multiple positions, multi, you know, multiple uh, uh, players and really need more athleticism and just playmakers on their teams. Jacksonville, we talked about them a little bit. Where do you think they do offensive line at number 33 or do they go with the safety? I would go with the safety. I would go with Merrick. Trayvon Merrick out of TCU. He's he's the number one safety on my board. He was the number one safety for a lot of people. Surprised that he slipped out of the first round. Made a lot of plays, Lou. I, he reminds me a little bit of Justin Simmons when he was coming out of Boston College. Just a guy that gets a lot of, tips a lot of balls. Even when he doesn't come up with the interception, he just getting those PBUs and he's instinctive. I think Merrick would be a weapon for somebody like Jacksonville. He can line up in the slot as well, be that nickel corner. He's very versatile. I would go in that direction. I mean, you address the offense with the quarterback and the running back. You could still go back to that, but I think Jacksonville should go defense in round two. Well, they also have forty, you know, pick 45. So if, again, one of those offensive linemen, if they really like him, because there is a handful that uh, that are sitting there that they were mentioned in the first round. But again, these aren't, you know, the NFL evaluators doing this. These are guys like us or that are that are putting these to, these lists together, if you would. So linebackers, I, I mentioned them a little bit, but there are some names out there that we, we talked about JOK. What about somebody like Nick Bolton? He actually tested a lot better than I thought he would. I mean, he ran like in the high four fives, and that was the question mark for him because he's a smaller linebacker. I actually thought that he had more success as a weak side linebacker in Missouri. He played inside linebacker and outside linebacker there. He gives you that versatility. I think he can play as as a 3-4 inside linebacker. I think he can play as a 4-3 weak side linebacker. So because of that versatility and because he can play in numerous schemes, I think he's going to be an an attractive option there in in round two. And I think he is going to go there at the end of it. I mean, Jabril Cox is probably going to go a lot higher than we think because um, another guy that's athletic, has 4-5 speed, and 
He's probably one of the best pass coverage linebackers out there. And Jabril Cox is from LSU. So keep an eye on him. Chess Surratt was a guy from UNC that really stood out to me on film. Now he's, he's an cha- older Now, he changed prospect. positions, too. Didn't he come to North Carolina as a quarterback? Yes. So yes, he's he kind of he in has- the infancy stages of playing defense at all. So that like, he could have some upside there. Well, for a 24-year-old rookie, yeah, I guess there is some upside. He's he's a much older prospect, and I think that's going to knock him down. But I felt like when he made that switch during his junior season, he looked really comfortable there as a blitzer in pass coverage because he has that speed and athleticism, and he took on blocks. He was able to just fire those gaps and and make plays in the run game. There were plenty of times, like on film, when I was watching Chaz Surratt, and he was able to make the tackle all by himself. Like, he's not the biggest guy out there, but because he plays with leverage and he brings it, he's able to make the tackle on a, a much more bigger running back in the hole. And on those third and one, fourth and one situations, I'm a lot higher on, on Chaz Surratt than, than most people. Okay, so any other names that we haven't mentioned that you know might not necessarily be a surprise, but somebody somebody that we're not necessarily looking at or talking about that is going to make an impact here in round two? I think on day two, just keep an eye on two cornerbacks, uh, Tyson Campbell, the, the fast corner from Georgia. Um, obviously, we talked about his partner going to the backers. And then I think keep an eye on Elijah Molden, I think he's one of the best uh, nickel corners in this draft. And slot corners are so important in today's NFL. He didn't test well, but he's one of the, the smartest defensive backs out there, very instinctive. So keep an eye on, on a couple of those defensive backs to come off the board. All right, gang. I think that's going to do it for our first round wrap-up. Looking ahead to the second round. Uh, enjoy it. We'll talk a, a lot more about the second, third, fourth, and the rest of the draft on next week's show. And then one story, I guess I just wanted to mention this. We're not going to go down this rabbit hole today, but just it's been awfully quiet on the Deshaun Watson front. It seemed like every day we were hearing more more cases coming, more from the the Texans in general. Now it's just been uneasily quiet. So may, maybe there's, there's a, a, some settlement talks going going on and we may still see something with Deshaun Watson but uh, I think that's going to do it for us today enjoy the draft it was a lot of fun last night should be the rest of the weekend we'll talk to you next week peace